Well, to all of you again, a hearty welcome to Calvary Chapel of Battle Creek. To you on Facebook, to you that go to the website, welcome to you also. We're continuing our, our study in the book of Matthew. As you know, Jesus is introducing the kingdom, or offering actually the kingdom, to the Jewish people. The Jewish people are in the process of rejecting the kingdom, rejecting the kingdom, and turning away from Jesus. And they're going to have a controversy here on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus will have seven times that he faces the Pharisees with controversies about doing something on the Sabbath. These are two of them. So if you would, stand for the reading of God. We're in Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 through 14. Now, the reason that we stand is that we honor God by standing when we read his word. His word is significant to us. It is utmost important to us, so we honor that. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and the disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who, who has one sheep, and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is this man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him, how they might destroy him. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for this time. We are truly grateful that you've given us your word as a template for our lives. This word is a light into our path, a lamp into our feet. It directs our lives, directs our steps, makes our way straight in this world. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit, to the truths that you have for us today in your word. Lord, I know it's hot and humid and muggy in here. I ask you to do a supernatural work in each heart and each mind to put all that stuff aside and just to focus on what you have for us today. You are speaking to each person here individually. Everyone will hear something different today that they need to hear. Please, God, help each person to receive what you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, as you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. So week after week, we say this, and week after week, we, we, we emphasize that the king is coming to establish a kingdom. The kingdom will be one that is of law and order. It'll be run properly. It'll be rescuing this world from the mess that it's in. We are living here now waiting for that kingdom to, be, to come. Now, Jesus has demonstrated to the nation of Israel over and over again, that he is the Messiah. Now, remember, he went to the cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. These were Jewish cities. 
that he went to and ministered to, and he was rejected, rejected, rejected. Jesus spent two years in Galilee. He had a three-and-a-half-year ministry. Out of that three-and-a-half years, two years were spent in Galilee. Two years in ministry. Two years of doing miracle after miracle after miracle. Two years of casting out demons. Two years of entering the chaos of life. It says in the book of John, Jesus did seven signs to prove he was the Messiah. He turned water into wine, healed the nobleman's son, healed the paralytic. He fed 5,000. Then he walked on water. Then he healed the blind man. Then he raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, those are some pretty big things for the nation to reject over and over. Rejected. Folks, I want you to think about something. Each person in this world is presented with a question. And that question is this. What will I do with Jesus? Pilate asked that question. Pilate asked that, what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? The evidence has been presented. And folks, I believe as Christians, we do not have kind of blind faith. That's what a lot of people say. We have have blind faith. No, I say we have evidential faith. Why do I say that? Because there's proof that Jesus lived. Historically, Jesus actually lived and walked this earth. Historically, Jesus did miracles. This is not denied. Whenever he did a miracle, those Pharisees from, from Jerusalem had to go examine him, observe him, and they actually saw what Jesus was doing. He did miracles. Jesus was really crucified, historically crucified. You know, there's, there's at least 30 historians, non-Christians, that validate this. Suetonius, Tacitus, a Roman historian. Josephus, not a friend of Jesus, was a Jewish historian, and the Jewish Talmud even says Jesus was crucified. He was buried in a tomb, and guess what? The tomb was empty, and they couldn't find the body, okay? He was resurrected. Jesus said that he's going to be coming back. He will come back. Really, he'll come back. And guess what? The disciples' lives were changed. They went from running for their lives to dying for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus makes a huge difference in lives. Remember in J. Warner Wallace's book, Person of Interest, all major world religions incorporate Jesus into their belief system in some way. In some way. They look at him as a great teacher. They look at him as a prophet. They look at him as an enlightened one. They look at him as an avatar, some sort of earthly God. But they none of them look at him as a son of God, God incarnate, God himself. Every system in our world has been affected by Jesus. When you look at this book, it is rather amazing. It's in our bookstore, by the way. Person of interest, J. Warner Wallace. Jesus changed art, music, education, science, mathematics, etc. No area has been untouched by Jesus. His influence is unquestionably the most influential person that has ever lived. Now, in 1901, they started with the Nobel Prizes. Now, I have a little pie chart here to show you that the number of Christians is off the charts greater than any of the others, Christian and Jewish, that have had Nobel Prizes. Jesus Christ has impacted this world, and I can say that he's impacted your life if you're a believer. He's impacted your eternal destiny if you're a believer. That's the most important thing. Jesus changed this world, folks. That is a fact. Now, to most people who live in this world today, 
To most people in our culture today, they could care less about this. They don't care about Jesus. They don't care about Jesus. But you know what Jesus does? He keeps pursuing, and he keeps pursuing, and he keeps pursuing. And he says, come. And he says, come, all to me, you are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. What people want today, well, last week we talked about being yoked to Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. What people want Jesus to do is to be, have Jesus yoked to them. Where you lead Jesus around wherever you want him. That's just the opposite, folks. That's the wrong view of Jesus. He is the one that is in charge. Jesus says, come to all those. those remember, the nation has rejected him. The majority of people reject him. But yet Jesus continues to say, come, come, come and believe. Come and receive the gift of salvation. Come and be yoked to Jesus and follow him. Being yoked to Jesus means being on the Jesus team. Now, do you remember from last week what C.S. Lewis said? And I think this is pertinent. When you think about following Jesus, Lewis says this, he is the king, I tell you. He is the king, I tell you. And he had that lion that was up there. Follow the king. Follow the king. Folks, it seems obvious to me, and probably most people in this room today are, that are believers in the Lord Jesus, that Jesus Christ certainly is the Savior. He is the way. He is God incarnate. I can say unequivocally, He is my King. He is my Lord. He is my way maker. He is my peace. He is my presence. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He goes through everything in life with me. My question to you is this. Very basic, very basic. Why don't people want Jesus? Good question, isn't it? They're blinded by the world's philosophies and what we called last week, since this is a review, world think. World think. People are caught up in thinking like the world. And again, we're inundated constantly by the world. It's a natural thing to do. God has to break in in order to break world think to break world think. The only way to be saved from the insanity cycle of world think is to believe and receive the gift of salvation. And then you can see clearly what is going on around you. Okay, now listen to this. In 1973, there was a song by a guy named Johnny Nash. Now, some of you guys will know this song. It goes, I won't sing it, but I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. I, I couldn't help it. Gone are the dark clouds that had, that had me blind. It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. I, when God opens your eyes, folks, the light comes on, and you start to realize that things are different than what this world is presenting. To all those who come and are weary and heavy laden, Jesus says, I will, this is a promise, give you rest. In the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this increasing anxiety that we're living in, rest. When you watch 24-7 news, you cannot help but to be impacted with anxiety. Because 99% of it is negative, 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 doom and gloom. And it will affect your spirit, anybody's. Now this week, the Pharisees are going to ramp up hostility towards Jesus. They're heading towards the final rejection of Jesus, the final rejections. And he's going to have a controversy over the Sabbath. Now, these hyper-religious, the Pharisees of the day, 
The religionists are going to pounce on Jesus and say, gotcha, Jesus. We got you with this one. Oh, you're breaking a law, Jesus. And he starts in verse 1 and 2. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And watch this. And the, when the Pharisees saw it, the Pharisees are spying. They said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. You are a lawbreaker, Jesus. You are a lawbreaker, Jesus. They're just looking to get Jesus. Now, what they are doing here has nothing to do with what was written in the Old Testament. They are making up. Remember, legalists always add to, make more burdensome the law. The law. Religionists were watching Jesus, looking for an opportunity to pounce. They went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Now, what is the Sabbath? What, is the, what does it mean? It means to desist or to stop, to cease. It's an intermission. It's a seventh-day rest. Now, the seventh day is Saturday, okay? So the commandment is, the commandment is from God to the nation of Israel. Now, please remember that. The Ten Commandments are given to the nation of Israel. By extension, Jesus in the New Testament gave us the law of Christ, which covers nine of the Ten Commandments. He doesn't mention the Sabbath in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament it does. So this is the nation of Israel. And also, it's remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So that's the command to the nation of Israel. And remember this. So many people look at God as being restrictive. Oh, he wants to stamp out our fun. No, all of God's laws provide for and protect his people. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, the Old Testament. 613, civil, ceremonial, and moral. When Jesus came, he did away with the civil and ceremonial. The moral law still exists again under the law of Christ. Nine of these Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament. Now, watch what, watch what happens here. When we obey the commandments of God, we obey the commandments of God, it demonstrates our loyalty to the true God, not the gods of this world, to the true God, and love for him. 1 John 5, 3 is clear. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. They are not burdensome. Keeping God's commands displays loyalty and love for him, not the gods of this world. Not the gods of this world. Deuteronomy 23:25 addresses Jesus' situation here specifically. The hungry person could eat, but could not harvest in someone else's field. You could get just enough for yourself. That's what the law said. They changed that to be a heavier burden. Now remember, Jesus is being watched. Jesus is being rejected. They're trying to get Jesus any way that they can, any way that they can. The Pharisees wanted to get Jesus. Now, the slightest thing, there's a picture here. I just kind of thought this would give us a picture. They're on the hillside. Jesus, they're just in, going about their business in the field, and they're hungry. They eat some grain, and these guys are going, I got them. I got them. I'm going to tell on them. Let's get them. Gotcha, Jesus. Gotcha. That was their game. Gotcha, Jesus. Now, I want you to think about something. We're living in a culture where there's a great divide, okay? There is a divide. We have to acknowledge that. 
those, are, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are more and more ostracized, more and more banished from the culture, more and more get in your corner from the culture. That is what's happening today. And they are watching us. They are watching us in hopes that we become more like them. They're recruiting you to come into their world, to have world think instead of God think. And no, we want to say we have to resist that temptation and actually go to them, present the Lord Jesus to them in hopes that they will come out of world think and believe and receive the gift of salvation. That is what is going on. In verse 3 and 4, watch Jesus' response. I mean, he is so good at responding to, to criticism. No, no, you, no gotchas here. No gotchas here. Verse 3 and 4. But he said to them, have you not read? Now, when you say that to a Pharisee who is supposed to know the Old Testament backwards and forwards, that's like giving him a little poke in the eye. A little poke. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread. Most of you don't know what showbread is, but you will in a second. Which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for, for the priest. Only for the priest. Now, think about this. Jesus is a great example for us. He's always ready to give an answer. He's always ready to give an answer. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us as the church, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Now watch how Jesus addresses these guys. He doesn't defend himself. He's not mean to them. He doesn't point at them and degrade them. He's, he's gentle and he simply reminds them of King David and the showbread and these guys instantly know what that means instantly know that David and his men ate the showbread, which they were not by law allowed to do unless they were hungry and had no other option. Jesus is going to remind them of that. So why could David's men eat this? Because they had a legitimate need. There is no prohibition in Scripture on meeting a need on the Sabbath. Mark adds in 2.27, the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. Now hear this. The Sabbath was, was made for man to rest, not for man to be crushed by the Sabbath rules. And the Pharisees were great at adding on burdens. Don't, 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 don't. And adding, adding, adding. Israel was to do this. This is to the nation of Israel. Do rest from your normal routine and focus on God. David ate... The disciples ate, Jesus healed, and there were seven things he did on the Sabbath that they had an issue with. Now, this time, in this illustration, it's going to be he ate the showbread. So what is showbread? Now, we have a picture here that most of you won't realize what this is. Some of you that come to our church normally, this is the holy place. And in the holy place in the tabernacle or the temple were three items. Now, remember, this is the, this is the curtain that separates the holy place from the Holy of Holies. Back here was the Ark of the Covenant. Back here was where God dwelt with his, his, he manifested his presence here for the nation of Israel. This is where the Shekinah glory led the nation of Israel, pillar of fire by light, pillar of cloud by air, and in and a cloud, okay? He led them. It was separated, this curtain separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies. In this place was a menorah. Now these things all 
were pre-pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. This was the only light in the holy place, lit up the whole thing. This is the table of showbread. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. He will satisfy your deepest need. This is the altar of incense. What is the altar of incense? It's the prayers of the saints that go up to God, and God is now, his position now, Jesus' position in heaven now, is as our high priest, hearing our prayers, making intercession for us. So this Old Testament example was all pointing to the coming Messiah and what he would do. Now, I have another picture here of showbread. And I'll tell you, look at, I've been most recently diagnosed with gluten. Don't eat gluten. When I, eat, when I look at this picture, I start to salivate. Just, <laughs> oh, man, it looks so good. I mean, I mean, this is, this, this is incredible. But watch how this stuff was made. The loaves were uniquely shaped, had to remain whole and unbroken during the baking afterwards. The loaves were, were standing exposed to the air for a full week. They must have been made by a special recipe, never becoming moldy, never becoming dried out. The loaves had to be baked quickly so they wouldn't be leavened. They had to, this was unleavened. Leaven is a picture of sin. And listen to this one. The loaves were fairly large, each weighing about 11 pounds. <laughs> Doesn't that blow your mind? <laughs> 11 pounds of dough. <laughs> Ready to, yes. <laughs> showbread, showbread reminds that God is the provider of our food, our sustenance, and Jesus is the bread of life. Folks, he is our life provider. He is our life sustainer. Yes, he is. And in verses 5 and 6, Jesus is going to correct the gotcha crowd. Watch what he does. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, he's going to get him with another one that should have known, that the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Levitical priest had to work on the Sabbath. They could do it because that was their job. Then Jesus says this, Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. Now, don't Jesus is talking about himself being greater than the temple. That's going to cause some consternation in the Pharisees, isn't it? Yes, it is. So Jesus to the Pharisee legalist. Have you not read in the law? He's giving them a gotcha. A gotcha. They were supposed to be experts in the law. Jesus' expectation, now hear this loud and clear, then and now was for his people to know what he has written, to know what is written. There are no excuses before God. He expects his people to know. So in order for you to know you have to be in God's Word and reading it and studying it. That's the expectation. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, You, all of us, are to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Dokimos. Tested and approved as genuine. To one, one approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly, correctly handles the Word of truth. Why does he say that? Because there are people that distort the Word incorrectly incorrectly. Jesus to the got you crowd says, you should know this. Now, one thing about Jesus, Jesus is not into being politically correct. 
He's not pandering to the crowd. He's not concerned about being politically correct. In this place, there is one greater than the temple. I am greater than the temple, the Jesus saying. My ministry is greater than the temple. This will not make Jesus popular. And again, hear this loud and clear. Jesus didn't come to this world to pander to the world, to the people, nor should we as believers. Again, we're to be gentle, respectful, encouraging to have them come to Christ, not taking a sledgehammer to them and that sort of thing. But we are to present the Lord to him. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, this, as we have been approved by God, this is to every believer, entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God. Not as pleasing men, but God who tests our heart. What does that mean? Most people don't want the real Jesus. They want to pretend Jesus. They want a Jesus that will validate whatever they're doing in their lives. Jesus loves them and wants to take them out of that life and bring them in to the truth of his will and his way. Jesus did not pander, nor should we flatter people. And I love what Jason says when he teaches. He says, we are not patting people on the head as they go to hell and say they're okay. No, we cannot do that. Real love tells people the truth. And when eternities are at stake, eternal destinies. I mean, Jesus taught about heaven and hell. And he mentioned hell more than heaven. It was a warning. Don't go there. When you tell people about the real Jesus, this will not make you popular in this culture today. Now, I want you to think about this. Then the people would go to the temple to worship God. That's where they met with God. They didn't meet with them in the fields and that sort of thing. They went to the temple. Where do we go today? Any place you want. Because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. God resolved. Re, re, he, he, Reside. Ah, oh, that's a thank you, Brad. You can save me. Yes. Resides in you. Yes, he resides in you. He makes his home with you. He dwells within you. So you can worship God any place. Now, I want you to also think about this. Church cannot save you. Cannot save you. Spiritual disciplines cannot save you. Your church traditions cannot save you. Going through all the religious machinations that many people go through, that cannot save you. What saves you is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The day you say, yes, I believe you died in my place, Lord Jesus. And I believe and I receive the gift of salvation. It's personal. You can't even have just knowledge of it and say, oh, I, I believe that Jesus, there, there was this guy, Jesus, he died on the cross, he was buried, he rose again the third day, he existed and that sort of thing. No, you have to believe that, internalize that for yourself and receive it. Remember the word believe is pistio. It means commit to, put your trust in Jesus Christ as your sin bearer. That is way more than just the mental knowledge. That is a heart transplant, folks. That is a heart transplant. So, in verse 7 and 8, Jesus to the gotcha crowds is going to say this. It's about mercy, not sacrifice. But if you had known what this means, he knows that they're ignorant and they do not know. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have been, you would have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord 
even of the Sabbath. That's a significant statement. Significant statement. These religionists, are, again, are into sacrifice, religious ritual, going through religious motions, and Jesus is not into all that. He's not into the ritual, the performance, but he's into mercy. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What does this mean? What does this mean? Remember, religion is working your way to God. I'm a good person. I'm great. I'm wonderful and terrific. And the Bible says, oh, no, you're not. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeks after God. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. All our righteousness is a filthy rags, etc. People want to perform to do good for God. All world religions do this. Christianity is the only religion that Christ paid the price for humanity. We are not working. We are not doing anything to ingratiate ourselves to God. Giving money, doing things that are really great. Remember what, the, what, what Jesus did with the Pharisees in the Beatitudes. When they, said, when they said, look at how we're praying. And Jesus says, you have your reward. You have your, you're doing this publicly for yourself. Giving alms or giving. And, may, and by the way, when people do that, they, they're, they're looking at themselves. They want their, the self-glory. They're stealing the glory. Proverbs helps us with this concept. Proverbs 15, 8 says this, to, the, to all those involved in religious stuff, the sacrifice, the religious stuff of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Folks, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, not of works, lest any should boast. Once we are saved, we are God's Christ workmanship in we are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus to do good works. We're doing good works out of love for God, not for brownie points, not for brownie points. Love for God. We love Him. We want to serve our King. For all Sabbath enthusiasts, and there's plenty of them, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He fulfills our Sabbath rest. So, Seventh-day Adventists, Seventh-day Baptists, those who are into the Hebrew Roots Movement, they vehemently look at other people as, as being outside because they're not worshiping on that specific day. Look, it's not about a day. It's about a person. It's about a person. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath rest. Verse 9 through 14. Jesus will now face off in the synagogue with the gotcha guys. Now, remember what's just happened. They're walking through the fields. They pluck some grain. The Sabbath keepers jump all over them. Jesus answers their questions. And Jesus continues to march right into town, right into the synagogue where they're central, centrally located, and he's going to address them mano a mano on their turf. That's the picture. Verse 9. Now, when he had departed from there, he went straight into the synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, so the Pharisees are presenting Jesus with a question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Sticking this guy right in front of him with the withered hand. That they might accuse him. Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? He never addresses directly a person's question. 
He just goes right around and then stabs him in the heart with something. Out of how much more of how much more value than is a man than a sheep? Therefore, watch this. This is the culmination. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, right in front of them, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees, watch the response here, went out, went out of the synagogue, stood up, walked out. They didn't like what Jesus was doing. We're in rebellion against this. We're going to stick our nose up at Jesus. We're walking out, hoping all the others will walk out with him, with them. How they, and then, this is what they do. Then they, want, they discuss with one another how they might destroy him. Instead of saying, great job, Jesus, they want to destroy him. Let's develop this just a little bit. So again, Jesus is, Jesus is not intimidated. One iota. Folks, that has to be our posture. Now, in the natural, I don't want confrontation. I don't want to be arguing with people and that sort of thing. I just wish it was so easy, and it's not. But God has given us something unique. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit? He's the rod of iron up our spines that allows us to stand and tell the truth when no one wants to hear it. It's difficult to be criticized. It's difficult to be yelled at. It's difficult to throw tomatoes at you or whatever people do. But we have a responsibility to tell people the truth about the Lord Jesus. Pharisees are trying to corner Jesus. That's the picture here. They have the withered hand guy. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They ask that question, again, with the guy standing there. And Jesus answers and says this, It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You must know this. No Old Testament law prohibits healing, helping, showing mercy on the Sabbath. These legalists are adding burdens to oppress people. That's what legalists do. You know, Christ came to set us free to set us free, to set the captives free, free. Right before their eyes, Jesus says, stretch out your hand, and it was restored as whole as the other. Human need took precedence over the religious legalist desires. And something strange here, there is no rejoicing over the, over the miracle. These Pharisees are, are watching a miracle. A man's hand is withered, unfunctional, paralyzed, hasn't been used. The guy can't work in his culture. It's an agrarian culture. He's been ostracized in the culture. And none of these Pharisees go, wow, look what Jesus just did. Not a, not a peep. You know why? Because I think these Pharisees knew that Jesus could do miracles. I think they had seen these miracles in the past. They know what Jesus can do. It confirms and know Jesus can heal. But I bet the people in the synagogue that are watching this went, wow, Jesus. Wow. Wow. Remember, the synagogue was the center of life. And I would suggest to you that this man with the withered hand was a common participant in the synagogue. Those Pharisees saw him on a regular basis, saw how he suffered, and yet their antipathy, their hatred for Jesus, exceeded the joy that they could have had for the guy being restored. Instead of focusing on what Jesus did, what do they do? They plot Jesus' death. 
they went out, plotted against him how they might destroy him. Now, I want to read you something that somebody wrote that I copied. This verse takes, verse takes the official rejection of Messiah further than it has gone before in Matthew. End quote. The religionist folks are steamrolling towards a final rejection of Messiah, sealing their fate. Folks, there is a final rejection of Jesus Christ that, can hap that happens to people. There's a day of salvation. Behold, today is the day of salvation. God determines that, not us. As the Spirit convicts you, that is your time. That is your day. That is your moment. You don't just put it off and say, I'll take that up later. I'll think about that more. No, as the Spirit of God is dealing with you, that is the time. That is the time. This is a culminating in a point of abject rejection. What's going to happen in the next few weeks is the final rejection will occur for the nation of Israel. They will say, they will accuse Jesus of healing and casting, excuse me, casting out a demon in the name of Belial, the prince of demons the Lord of the flies, Satan himself. And that will be the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, their final rejection of Messiah. How sad. Some closing thoughts. The disciples ate grain, and the Pharisees had a fit. Jesus heals, the Pharisees have a fit. The world just doesn't like Jesus. They don't like him. Now, my question is this to the group, for you to and just think about. Why is the world so intimidated by Jesus? Why do they want to shut him down? Why do they want to shut you down? We're not hurting anybody. We're not shooting people. We're not killing people. We're not stealing from people. Why do they want to shut you down? It is this. This is the truth, according to Scripture. There is a war for the minds of people, the minds of people. Satan is the god of this age. He's a temporary king, a temporary ruler of fallen humanity. Satan will do anything to inhibit the king's message. And let me say this loud and clear. He cannot. God's word will go out. It will not return void. It will go forth. God will have a people for himself. Just that simple. Now, I want you to think about what's going on in our world as we go into a one-world globalist situation here. That's where we're going. That's what all the climate change and all the ranting about borders and open borders, it's all going towards a one-world government for humanity to save the planet. And some of these people are altruistic. They think that that's really the truth. But they're not going to save the planet. According to the word of God, this thing is devolving, and the one that will save the planet is Jesus Christ coming back and saving the planet. They don't want to hear that, but that is what the truth is. So we hear the clarion call of the world to join with the world. That is what is happening. And also, we have this clarion call of the world to silence Christians or to silence a, 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 a non-consenting voice. Silence them. Silence free speech. And what has happened in our country, as you know, is that God has been kicked out, 
and man has been elevated to the position of God. Or man is going to have all the answers. And we have talked about the World Economic Forum. We have talked about Klaus Schwab. We've talked about Bill Gates and George Soros. And we've even brought in their prophet, Noah Harare, and how he extols humanity. And humanity can evolve into being like God through technology. That is the direction of our world that we're living in today, to save the planet. And again, that's what they think. They have an anti a life, a worldview that is devoid of God. Their problems, their problems, they have a big problem, is that Christians are holding back the progress. So what happens is there's an effort to silence the Christians, to get their speech out of the, out of the mainstream, keep them silent. The other thing that is happening is the worldview that they espouse is infiltrating the church. And so many churches have been infiltrated with this worldview that they buy into the things of the world. They are world-thinking instead of God-thinking. The Pharisees' need is the, is the same need of our world today. Watch this. What do they want, and what does our world want? Get Jesus out of our hair. Get his followers out of our hair. Get them out of the way. And folks, it's all about control and rulership. And the question is this. For each person, you have to ask yourself, who will rule your life? Are you going to rule your life, or is Christ going to rule your life? That's the question for every human. And you have the freedom to either accept or reject the Lord Jesus. We will have our way. It's all about power. It's all about control. It's all about influence. It's nothing new. Jesus said in Luke 19, 14, he said this about his citizens. That his citizens hated him. This is a, this is a, a, a parable. His citizens hated him sent a delegation to him saying, we will not have this man, Jesus, rule over us. We will not have this man rule over us. Forced compliance, forced to walk lockstep with the world, freedom being taken away. Folks, this is world think. It's happening all over the world. The persecution of Christians is ramping up like never before. Remember, we've had many statistics on this. Jesus and his followers are an irritant. The early church was an irritant. Polycarp who got burned at the stake. John Huss burned at the stake for their faith. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who stood up against Nazi tyranny, tyranny and stood against the church, the, the, the unfaithful church in Germany, lost his life. Folks, what's happening all over to world, all the world today, 21 Coptic Christians that we had on the screen here a couple weeks ago, the Egyptian Christians who, who, who could have said yes to Allah and saved their lives, all of them died, 21 out of 21. The, sculpture, the, the culture screams, get the Christians out of our hair. Satan's world system cannot have its way while the restrainer is here. Hear this loud and clear again. Satan cannot have his way. Progressivism cannot have its way while the restrainer is here. Christians are an obstacle to global progressivism. The restrainer, folks, listen to this, is the Holy Spirit-filled church. The restrainer is you, who are salt and light in the culture. Salt and light in the culture. The restrainer is not moved by worldthink. The true church is not moved by worldthink. And the pressures that are leveraged on us 
by the world. We can't be. We have been set free. We know the truth, and the truth has set us free. Second Thessalonians 2.6 says this, Now you know what is restraining, that he, Antichrist, may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness, that's Antichrist, is already at work. Only he who now restrains the Holy Spirit will do so until he, the Holy Spirit-filled church, is taken out of the way. What the world must know, and what we must know as followers of the Lord Jesus, we will not be silenced. We cannot be. We've been given a commission to go and tell by the Lord Jesus himself. We will not live by lies. We will not live by lies. We will see, judge, and act. We will judge everything and see everything through the word of God. The true church will do what Jesus tells them to do. Go and preach the gospel to every creature. And the true church will do something that is impossible for us to do on our own. It will require the Spirit of God in you to do this. To watch. Watch what's going on around you. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. So what are we to do? We, we will stand against evil. We must. We will stand against the lie, against godless tyranny. And we will stand for the truth. Again, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The truth will dispel the lie. The world will hate you and the, tr and the truth that you espouse. It's expected. Jesus told us exactly what to expect here as followers of Christ. Watch what he says in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. It's just that simple. G. Campbell Morgan makes a comment on impact, on impact. Your life has been changed, and it's been changed to impact the culture that you're living in with the truth. He says this, quote, Jesus didn't heal this man so that he could wrap his healed hand in a bandage and protect it, but so that he could use it. By exercising and using it, he would maintain the new strength. Even so, when the Lord has delivered us from our sins, he expects us to Use our healed lives in service for his glory to impact, to impact. Jesus sought out the man with the greatest need. He looks for those with problems. He's looking for each one of us with a problem, with the greatest need. Some of our needs are embarrassing. Some of our needs we don't want anybody to know about. Some of our needs are hidden, that sort of thing. Folks, let's be honest. It's common to each one of us. We all have something we don't want exposed. And Jesus says to you, arise, stand in the midst, admit, what you, admit your problem. I'm not saying for you to do that today or anything like that. But, uh, and then start your healing. The first step in healing is to admit that you have a problem. No more pretending and no more blaming everyone in your life for whatever's going on. I have sinned. God loves it when we confess our sins. Satan hates for you to confess your sins will always want you to cover up and conceal. And he will say to you, you deserve, you owe it to yourself to be just the way you are. Just stay right in your situation. And I want to suggest something to you. Jesus will stop on your toes to get your attention. Why does he do that? Because he loves us. 
He loves us. In your life, if you respond in obedient faith, Jesus will say to you, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. And he will impart his power to deal with the whatevers of your life. He will change you. Humans are great at rationalizing their sin, making excuse after excuse after excuse why they are the way they are. Jesus stomps on your toes. When he does that, don't resist him. He's getting your attention. Turn to him. Satan does this. He plays gotcha. You're trapped. You're mine. Jesus says, stretch out your hand and be changed. You can live and you can be set free from anything. You can change your destiny. You can change your destiny right now. Be able to live with him forever. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Scripture says you'll be separated from him forever in a place commonly known as hell, which is, it, Jesus said, do anything that you can to not go there. Warned us many times about this. Many times. The only way out is Jesus. So Jesus came to set the captives free. And I have a picture here that'll come up. Look at it, the chains. The chains were chained by our problems, changed by our stuff. Only Jesus can break this, folks. The next slide. Millions, folks, have been set free from whatever. Next one. So can you. Please remember this. Stretch out your hand, folks. That's all Christ is saying. Stretch out your hand to be free. And I want you to look around this room. Just look around at other people in this room. These are freed captives. They've been set free. They've been set free from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light because they did one thing and said, yes, I believe in you, Jesus. And their eternal destiny was changed forever. There is a song, Amazing Grace. My chains are gone. It says, my chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns. Unending love. Amazing grace. That saved a wretch like me. Simply stretch out your hand. He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for these wonderful people that have endured this humidity and the length of this talk. Thank you for each one that you've brought here today. Holy Spirit, I know that you speak to hearts. Your word has gone out. It does accomplish what you desire to accomplish. If someone is here today and does not know you as their Savior, and they're getting that creepy feeling within them right now that I should do something, but I don't want to do it. Lord, break through. Break through. Help them to say yes to you. Help them right in the, in the comfort of their chair to say, I believe that you died for me, Lord Jesus. I receive you as my Savior. I love you, Lord Jesus. I give my life to you. I commit myself, put my trust in you for my salvation. If you do that, you will be saved. Father, for those who are hurting in their spirits today, with whatever's crushing them, I ask that you would touch them in their area of need. For those in physical distress, would you touch them also? We turn to you, our God, for rescue. Please, God, enter the situations that are presented within this room, on Facebook, or whatever other venue people are listening. Touch and heal and make us whole, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen.